0: Okay, so I know, I know every week, some of you, you hear these jokes that I come up with and you say, where, where does he get these? They're so fantastic, right? They're so great. So this morning, uh, someone sent me a joke, no names mentioned, Lee Harrison sitting right here, um, and obviously she felt like I needed a little help to my sermon. So I'm going to start with that joke. Are you all ready? All right, here it is. What do you call, it's a Christmas joke, what do you call a Christmas wreath made with $100 bills, Aretha Franklin's, Aretha, if you don't get the joke, see Lee, Lee, I thought that was pretty funny. All right. So let's start today. Are you ready? Say amen. amen. All right. Everyone in this room, everyone watching online is waiting for something. We spend our whole lives waiting for something. Jacob, my oldest son, was waiting anxiously for finals to be over at Texas A&M. Some employees are waiting to see if they're gonna get their Christmas bonus like Chevy Chase did in the, remember that great movie, classic? Retailers count the days to see if they're gonna have a good bottom line from Christmas. Kids of all ages can't wait to open up their presents. Some are waiting test results from the doctor. Some are waiting to get better. Everyone is waiting for something. If you're waiting for something right now, say amen. 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 I can remember uh, thinking about Christmas and putting gifts under the tree, and we don't, we don't put a lot of gifts under the tree for the kids, because you remember what happened when you put gifts under the tree? I, I, don't know, I don't know if you were like this, but when I was a kid, we got to open one gift on Christmas Eve. How many of you got to open one gift on Christmas Eve? Yeah. So... We would scout our gifts, right? You would shake the boxes, and if you're really daring and your mom wasn't looking, you would actually tear off a corner of the edge and then open it up. And I can never rewrap it right, so my mom always knew when I had done that, right? And I remember it was just the highlight of Christmas Eve was opening that gift right after, of course, listening to the pastor's sermon of the church I went to. No? Don't believe me? Yeah, that that was true. And I remember as a child, waiting for Christmas was the most difficult period, right? From Thanksgiving until Christmas, it seemed like days turned into years, and you're just waiting and waiting. Time seemed to stand still. And you know, if you think about it, waiting is foreign to our society, it seems unnatural. We are a group of people that we want immediate gratification. The idea of delayed satisfaction is a stranger to our thinking. Researchers tell us that you will spend 4.2% of your life waiting. No one likes waiting, whether in lines or rooms or waiting in the wings or in the limelight. Anyone here ever say, oh great, traffic jam, head right for it. Waiting patiently is definitely not a strong suit in American society, amen? There's a woman's car and it stalls in traffic. She looks in vain, gets out, looks, opens up the hood, and she's trying to identify why her car is stalled. And the driver behind her is just laying on the horn. He just will not quit. He's just honking and honking. Finally, she's had enough. So she goes back to the car and says, listen, very sweetly, says, listen, I, I don't know what the matter is with my car, but if you want to go look under the hood, that'd be great. I'll gladly get in your car, and I'll just lay on the horn for you. We're not a patient people, right? We tend to be a horn honking, microwaving, FedEx mailing, quick and loan using, DoorDash, fast food eating, express lane shopping, hurry people that buy products from companies called Sprint. Amen? People don't like to wait in traffic, on the phone, at the store, at the post office. Robert Levine has a wonderful book called Geography of Time. And he suggests there's actually a new unit of time we ought to have. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Probably you have. It's called the honk a second. The honk a second is the time between the light changes and the person behind you honks his horn at you. Ever had this? Yes, yes. Uh, He claims it's the smallest unit of time known to science. Yes, yes. So how well do you wait? How well do you think you wait? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being great, how many of you, where where are you at number-wise? Zero, (laughs) negative one. I drove to uh, Austin, uh, and I don't know if you've ever driven up to Austin or Dallas. They actually have these toll roads you can get on in Texas, and they promise you a faster time there, uh, less wait, less traffic. Of course, you just have to pay, and sometimes you come to the toll booth, and um, things happen at the toll booth. So for instance, I'm driving in a toll booth and the driver in front of me is having an extended conversation with the toll booth operator. What do you think my reaction was? Was it A, uh, I was happy they were experiencing uh, community in the toll booth, B, you think about joining them, maybe forming a small group, having some prayer time with them? Or C, I was dreaming of things I would like to say to the toll booth operator or I actually attempted to drive my vehicle between the other guy's car and the toll booth. Which one do you think I did? A, very good, thank you, Kat, appreciate that. So how about, how many of you love to go and wait in your doctor's office? Yeah, how many of you, when you get to the doctor's office, you're A, grateful for the chance to catch up on the 1993 Reader's Digest. (laughs) B, tell the other patients you have a highly contagious and fatal disease, hoping this will empty out the waiting room. Or C, force yourself to hyperventilate to get immediate attention. This is the beauty of having asthma. If you go into the doctor's office and tell them you're having an asthma attack, they see you right away. It works right away. So today, we look at the line. We've been looking at a, uh, the song, uh, <clears throat> O Holy Night. We've been looking at different lines in the song. And today, the line I want to really focus on is the line that talks about waiting in the song. Long lay, like a long time, right? Long time waiting the world's in sin, all right, and error pining. It's a time of waiting. In Advent, one of the main themes of Advent, one of the main themes of Advent just means the time of waiting for Christ. One of the main themes besides hope, peace, love, and joy is this sense of waiting. Remember, in the Old Testament, Jesus is predicted to come 750 years in the book of Isaiah before he shows up. So, and if you look at different Gospels. If you look just at the Gospel of Matthew, stay with me here, are you still with me? Yes, amen. If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, there's a wonderful story in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus sends the disciples out on a boat and he doesn't join them until three in the morning. They go out on the boat and he actually tells them to go out on the boat. But Matthew uses the word immediately three times. Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of them immediately. When the disciples thought they were seeing a ghost, when Jesus is walking on the water at three in the morning, Jesus answered them immediately. When Peter began to sink, remember he tells Peter to come out and walk on the water and cries out for help, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him. And Jesus' actions are swift and discerning and decisive and he doesn't waste a honk a second at all. And yet, if you look at this story, it's also a story about waiting. Matthew tells us that Jesus comes to the disciples during the fourth watch of the night. And of course, that is about three in the morning but they had been in the boat since the previous day. Why the long delay? If I were one of the disciples, I think I'd prefer Jesus to show up at the same time or even slightly ahead of the storm. How many of us want Jesus to be in the boat before the storm, right? Because it's not so much about being in storm avoidance in our life, it's about making sure Jesus is in the boat with us. Another moment of waiting is when Peter sees Jesus walking on the water and Peter being the impulsive one says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to walk on the water. And Jesus says, well, come on. And he cannot do this without Jesus' strength. He has to ask Jesus' permission and then wait for the answer and wait for the light to turn green. I wonder if another type of waiting was involved for Peter. What do you think Peter's first steps on the water look like? What does a toddler's first steps look like? I I imagine Jesus was pretty accomplished at walking on water. But I think there was a learning curve. Maybe it was like, remember the Bill Murray movie, What About Bob? Remember that movie? Maybe it was like Little Baby Steps with the goldfish. Remember that? Learning to walk with God always requires patience. And it's not until the whole episode is over, right, that Jesus gets in the boat that it tells us the wind died down. Well, why couldn't Jesus have made the wind die down immediately as soon as he saw the disciples' fear? Sometimes I ask God, God in the middle of a storm, why can't it just calm down right now, God? It would have made the walk a lot easier. But apparently Jesus felt they would gain something by waiting. Consider the activity that Peter and other disciples had to engage up to the very end. They had to wait. So sometimes God calls you out of your boat of comfort, calls you to do things, calls you to get outside of your comfort zone and you trust God and you take a step of faith and you courageously leave a comfortable job to devote yourself to God's calling. You're gonna use a gift that God's given you even though you're scared to death or you're gonna have some relational risk and God calls you out of that boat and you face rejection or you'll go back to school even though people say it makes no sense financially or you decide to trust God in some way and get out of the boat that you're in. Taking a new job. Moving to a new city. Maybe you'll experience a tremendous nonstop rush of excitement. There will be immediate confirmation from your, of your decision. The clouds will part. The angels will sing and say, you made a great decision. Every risk will pay off. Your efforts will be crowned with success. Your spiritual life will thrive. Your faith will double. Your finances will triple. But I found that's not always true. Amen. Uh, Hello? I know we are small, but we can still be mighty, like the hummingbird. For good reasons, God doesn't always move at our frantic pace. Some forms of waiting, like on the expressway or in a doctor's office or waiting for a sermon to end, I got an amen, are fairly trivial. But there are some difficult forms of waiting that we all face in life. The waiting of a single person who hopes God might have someone for them, perhaps a permanent relationship, but they're beginning to despair. Why haven't I found the right person? The waiting of a childless couple who desperately wants to have a baby. Or the waiting of Nelson Mandela as he sat in prison cell for 27 years and wondered if he'll ever be free or if his country would ever know justice. 27 years of waiting. The waiting of someone who longs to have work that is meaningful and significant and yet can't find it. The waiting of a deeply depressed person. Every morning she wakes up and she just wants to have the will to live. The waiting of a child who feels awkward and clumsy and longs for the day when they'll get picked first on the playground. The waiting of persons of color for when everyone will be judged, not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The waiting of an elderly senior citizen in a nursing home, alone, seriously ill, waiting for what? For the waiting of a vaccine for COVID-19 that will save lives. Amen. Every one of us at some juncture has to learn how to wait. And I think some of us do it better than others. Lewis Smead says, waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring what they hope for. We wait in darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Waiting may be the hardest single thing we're called to do. So it's frustrating, right, when you turn to the Bible and you find that God himself, who's all-powerful and all-wise, keeps saying to his people over and over, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wait for the Lord, keep to his way, and he will exalt you and you'll inherit the land." God comes to Abraham when he's 75 and the the scripture literally says his body was as good as dead. Not a good thing for the doctor to tell you. And says, you're going to be the father of many children. You're going to have many kids. How long did Abraham have to wait? Anyone remember before the first kid shows up? Anyone? come on, church. If you're online and you know it, type it in. We'll see. Who knows? 25 years. 25 years. So if his body was already good as dead at 75, you can imagine how well it was at 100. That was supposed to be funny. Thank you. Jonathan, can we get something on the screen that says laugh now, please, to, (laughs) to help Pastor John out? God told the Israelites, hey, you're going to leave Egypt. You're going to become a great nation. And the people had to wait 400 years. God told Moses, you're going to lead people to the promised land. But he had to wait 40 years in the wilderness. In the Bible, it's interesting because the word waiting is so closely associated with the word faith that they're actually used interchangeably in the original language. The great promise of the Old Testament was that Jesus was going to come, but Israel had to wait generation after generation, century after century. And when the Messiah came, he was only recognized by those who were expecting him. Someone like Simeon, who was an old man who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, but many of the Jewish people did not recognize Jesus. And Jesus lived and taught, was crucified, was resurrected. And he says to the disciples, because they're saying to him, "Okay, okay, now that you've been raised from the dead, is it time for your kingdom? Is that it? We can stop waiting? And Jesus had one more command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came. But did that mean the time of waiting was over? Paul writes, we ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirits, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with, what's that word, church? Patience. Patience. Now, you all... uh, Pay me to do research, so I'm going to give you a little research fact. You excited? Ready? Okay, 43 times in the Old Testament alone, people are commanded, wait, wait on God. That's just the Old Testament. The last words in the Bible, the very last words in the Bible, John of Patmos writes, Surely I am coming soon. <laughs> That's wait. Hang on. Come on, Lord Jesus like the old joke I've seen on bumper stickers, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> did, you, did you have it on the screen there? <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and watch the replay now. So, Why does God make us wait? Well, think about it. If you're a good parent, Every time your child asks you for something, you don't automatically give it to them. There's reasons. And here's what I want to say. What God does in us while we wait is as important as what we are waiting for. What God does in us while we wait is as important, if not more so than what we're waiting for, You know, when it's dark in a room, you don't run through it, do you? You wait. You don't run through a dark room. You can't see. What do we do in a dark night? We do nothing. We wait. We remember that we're not God. We hold on. We ask for help. We do less. We resign from things. We rest more. We ask somebody else to pray because we can't. We let go of our need to hurry through it. You can't run in the dark. And if we're open to God working in us, changing us, preparing our hearts for the birth of Christ, God will give us room to grow but it involves a waiting. I'll tell you someone who learned something about waiting and the importance of seeing God and other people, George Mason. George Mason didn't care much for people. He was a bachelor. He spent his evenings and weekends at home pretty much in his comfortable apartment. He didn't have a social life. He was very, very successful. He refused a lot of dinner, dinner invites, a lot of friend invites. He really was just kind of a loner, but he was happy. He was all about making money his life was completely absorbed by his own business. Late one Christmas Eve, this happened three years ago, after his employees left, George Mason went into his office vault to get a little extra cash. You know you have money when in your office you have a vault. So he went in there to get a little Christmas cash. It's Christmas Eve. Well, Soundlessly on newly oil hinges, the great vault door swing behind him and shut him in. And sudden darkness and a final click of the automatic lock startled him. He began to panic. He pounded on the door and he realized no one was there. It's Christmas Eve. Everyone's gone home. The janitor wasn't even coming in that night. He consoled himself and said, well... He'll, he'll be out the next morning. And then he realized the next morning is Christmas. His heart was pounding. He was wondering, will I have enough air? And then he remembered that the new vault had a little safety hole where he crawled around in the darkness and he lifted up this little vent that was big enough not to crawl out, but big enough to have air. So he spent Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in a vault, alone with all his cash. He was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was uncomfortable. He slept. His cell phone was not with him. He had no way to talk to anybody. The morning after Christmas, the chief cashier arrived and unlocked the vault, but didn't open the door. Without seeing anyone, George Mason staggered out of his prison and went immediately for the water cooler. After a long drink of cold water, he took a taxi to his solitary apartment and freshened up. He came back to the office Nobody there asked him how he spent Christmas. Nobody even missed him. Nobody cared. That changed his life. George Mason put a sign on the back of the wall of the vault. The sign was to remind him of those desperate hours. And the sign he put on there put this, to be indispensable somewhere is the secret of happiness. To love people is the purpose of life. Today, he has a lot more friends. It's an interesting story. You know, when I'm really aware that I'm with God and that God is with me, right? That's the message of Christmas, that God is with us. When I'm really aware of that, that God is with me, I will see people differently if I know God is standing right here with me. When we're living with God, we will actually see people as God sees them. If I'm aware that God is here with me and God is looking at you at the same moment I'm looking at you, it will change how I respond to you. Try this. When you're frustrated with the person at McDonald's who messed up your 99-cent order, first of all, spend more than 99 cents on lunch, but second of all, you might actually see that cashier as someone that God loves so much that they sent Jesus to die for and I'll see a real person who didn't really want to go to work, dealing with impatient customers, being on their feet all day. In other words, I will actually see you as no one else sees you through the eyes of God. And that's an important part of waiting, because sometimes when we look at people, we want them to change. How many of you ever looked at someone and said, boy, I wish they were different? Only we had a real pastor around here. Paul says, and this is what Paul says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. From now on, the soul is centered with God and Jesus. I look at people a different way. When you spend a night in a vault locked up by yourself and a day, you begin to look at people differently. Paul says, while we're waiting for God to set everything right, we suffer. But suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope In other words, God is actually producing those qualities in us while we wait. What that means is that biblically speaking, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is a part of the process of becoming who God wants us to be. Amen? So let me say what biblical waiting is not, because sometimes I have had people say things to me that is not biblical waiting. Biblical waiting is not passive, waiting around for something or someone to come along that will allow you to escape from your trouble. Like people say this a lot. Well, I'm just waiting on the Lord as an excuse not to face reality, not to take action, to own up to their own responsibility. That is not what is waiting on the Lord. I have counseled people with horrible financial habits, impulsive spending, Debt. I mean I remember one, one person came to my office and he had a gambling problem and he and he and this is how the conversation started. I need you to call my wife. No. <laughs> well, I need to call her from your office. Cause if I go home she's gonna kill me. He was serious. He went to a casino and and won six grand. And he's like, I'm gonna win another six grand. And he lost that six grand. And then he chased that six grand with another six grand and then chased it with another six grand. So he ended up uh, spending $18,000 in their savings, completely gone. Will I call and tell his wife? You can wait a long time if you want me to wait for that phone call. I don't know. But he says to me, well, maybe if I just wait, God will provide. I said, maybe you shouldn't go to the casino anymore. (laughs) Waiting on the Lord does not mean sitting around, hoping you get a letter from Macy's saying bank error in your favor, collect $200. That falls under the general theological category of don't be stupid. Waiting on the Lord probably means going to get yourself to a Dave Ramsey course and learning about biblical principles in the life of stewardship. Amen Lee. Biblical waiting is not passive. It's not a way to evade responsibility. See, all of us will either wait passively or will wait expectantly. A passive person hopes something good will happen and just waits around and see if it does. After a short time, they give up and saying, that's it. I waited. Nothing's happening. Right? A passive person has a lot of wishbone, but not much backbone. That was supposed to be funny. It gets worse as the sermon goes. You already know this. Waiting on the Lord is this it is a confident, it is a disciplined, it is expectant, it is active, sometimes painful clinging to God. Waiting on the Lord is continual daily decision to say, God, I'll trust you and I'll obey, even though the circumstances of my life are not turning out the way I want them to, and they may never turn out the way I want them to. I'm betting everything on you, God. There's no plan B. It's the hardest part of hope. And waiting on the Lord requires a trusting heart. Will I trust God has good reasons for telling me to wait? I don't know what they are. Will I trust that God knows what God's doing? Will I remember that things look different to God because God is viewing things from eternity? You know, eternity is already in session. You ever think about that? You are part of eternity right now. Second Peter 3, eight through nine tells us a little difference between the way we look at time and God looks at time. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any of you to perish, but all of you to come to repentance, to come to change. God has a different perspective. An economist read this passage from 2 Peter and was amazed about it, went to God and said, God, Lord, is it true that a 1,000 years for us is like one minute to you? And the Lord said, yes. And the economist said, well, then a million years or a million dollars to us must be like one penny to you, right, a million dollars, one penny to you. And the Lord said, yes. And the economist said, Lord, will you give me one of those pennies? And the Lord said, yes, I will wait here one minute. (laughs) Often we want God's resources, but we don't want God's timing. We want the penny, but not the minute. We want his hand, but not God's calendar. We forget his work in us while we wait, which is as important as what we're waiting for. So one of the things that you can do when you're in a season and we go through seasons of waitings, right? I, I remember I was telling uh, Lo and Jonathan this story. Uh, I had this, I had been married like 10 years. And I had this guy in my office and he'd been married like 35 years. He's the old grizzled veteran of marriage, right? He's there in the office, I'm there with him. And this guy comes into my office, this church member who I just married like three weeks earlier, officiated his wedding and he comes in, he's like this, oh, no, my marriage has just gone terrible in one day. I'm like, well, what happened? Did you mess up? Did she mess up? What happened? Is it, is it cheating? What is it? You know, and he's just totally down. He's like, no, we're just arguing about, like, mowing the yard and doing the dishes. I had a terrible day. I look at him. I say, a terrible day? What? And the old grizzled veteran of marriage, 35 years, he goes, Son, you're going to have bad years, let alone days. I thought that was pretty funny. True. Every marriage goes through seasons, right? It's not all just woohoo. Except for me and Renee. That's just different. It's all just woo-hoo all the time. Right, Renee? Where is my wife? Is she still in the buildings? She left? Oh, you're over there, yeah. Is this woo-hoo all the time? I know that face. You're lying. <laughs> so one of the things when you're going through a season of waiting, here's what you pray. God, what are you trying to do in me? What do I need to learn during this season? What, what is it you're teaching me? Be open. Not just, oh, why can't I get my way? There's a reason God makes us wait. And part of waiting is, I really honestly believe this, is learning how to recognize God's voice. How do you learn to recognize anybody's voice? Well, you spend time with them. You pick up the phone, and you don't need caller ID. You know their voice. If Renee calls me, I don't need my phone to say Renee Roberts. I know her voice, whether I want to know it or not. It's there. It's by experience. You've listened to it many times. It has a certain tone. And one thing you need to learn about God's voice it's never frantic or hurried. When you hear desperate thoughts or panicky thoughts come to your mind, that's not God's voice. God's voice will not lead you into panicky desperation. God's in charge. Jesus said it this way my sheep know my voice. It's the voice of the shepherd who always cares for the sheep, always. So we wait with confident humility. We're confident because God's leading us. We express humility because we're not in charge. So let's talk about what biblical waiting is. Biblical waiting is expectantly waiting. It is asking God, what are you trying to teach me? What am I supposed to learn in this moment? What am I supposed to learn in a bad season of marriage? What can I change about me, not the other person? and it is waiting with a heart full of hope, it is, it is waiting and, and looking for ways to solve your problems, and is expecting it to happen. Just like when a woman is told that she's pregnant, when she's told that she's expecting a baby, and she's carrying inside the promise of that baby, even though she can't see it, she knows it's there. A good, A good, good woman that knows she's pregnant, she'll start making preparations I I mean, trust me. This is when women go into full-blown nesting in your house. We got to get a crib. We got to get music. We got to paint this room. We got to get new new flooring. We got to get everything right for the baby. Ten thousand dollars later, you're ready for the baby. She begins planning she starts collecting items that she'll need. She actively prepares for the arrival of the baby, knowing the promise is gonna be fulfilled. So when you're waiting for God, you have to think, what do I need to do? What am I getting together so that I'm ready for this moment when it comes? It's interesting, when you look at the word wait in scripture, it means to expect or to look for. But it also means, there's another meaning for waiting, very interesting in scripture, it means to serve just like a waiter waits on you at your table at a restaurant. So our act of waiting isn't supposed to be sitting around passively hoping that something will happen sometime soon. Okay, this is where, this is the closing story. So are you still awake? I want to wait. I've been waiting to to share it with you. So I'm hoping you're still awake. If you're still awake, somebody say, I'm awake. At least five of you said that. Thank you. but this is the whole point of the message. I probably just should have told the story and not made you wait till now. 2021, there's gonna be a new rule. Amen's only allowed when that says amen on the screen. So, there was a woman who wanted what we all want, world peace. Not just in her heart, but out in the world. She was very frustrated. So the world seemed to be falling apart. Her own world, and obviously 2020 has just been 2020. So she goes shopping like a good woman does. Shopping, retail therapy. She goes to the mall. She walks into one of the stores, and lo and behold, Jesus is behind the counter. She can't believe it. She knew it was Jesus because he looks just like all the paintings and devotional books that she has. She gets up her nerve and she says, "Um, excuse me, are you, are you Jesus? He said, I am. And she said, you work here? He said, in a way, I kind of own the store. She says, well, what do you sell? And Jesus says, just about Everything just feel free to walk up and down the aisles a bit, make a list, see what it is you want, and come back and see what I can do for you. Well, the woman was very excited. I mean, can you imagine? So she did that. She walks down the aisles and she's writing down furiously, um, peace on earth, no more war, no more hunger, no poverty, peace in families, no dissension, no more drugs, careful use of resources, By the time she got back to the counter, her list was very long. Jesus looked over the list and smiled at her and said, no problem. And then he started, got down behind the counter and she heard all this noise and commotion and shuffling around and pretty soon he stood up and he gave her a bunch of packets, like little packets. And she said, what are these? And Jesus said, these are seed packets. This is a catalog store. You mean I don't get the finished product? No, this is a place of dreams. You, you come and see what it looks like, and I give you the seeds, and you go home, and you plant the seeds, and you water them, and nurture them, and help them grow, and somebody else really reaps the benefits, not you. So she said, oh, well, I'm not going to buy anything today then, and she turned around and walked out. Are you willing to do the work and wait? Are you willing to plant a tree of which you'll never bear and eat the fruit from? What we wait for is not more important than what happens to us while we wait. And how do we wait? The one we wait for will be worth the wait for sure. It's funny, the scripture says even youth... Even young people will grow faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted because there's always a limit to our strength, even when you're young. But it also says in Isaiah 40, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So will you wait for God to do in you what needs to be done? I mean, let's face it, we're all unfinished products, right? Some of you just picked up your seed packet this morning. <laughs> will you do it patiently? Expectantly? Will you be like a pregnant woman that makes preparations and gathers yourself for the changes that God wants to do in you? Will you trust God's purpose and God's timing? Will you learn to listen to God's voice, the unfrantic, unhurried, unanxious voice in the waiting room? And will you plant the seeds of God's kingdom? Will you wait for God to make everything right in this world? Or will you just be passive? But either way, you're going to wait. Sometimes when I get done um, preaching, people will say things to me, (laughs) like, try harder. (laughs) That was awful. I had one lady uh, who used to always try to give me a kiss after the sermon and it was not Daisy Fuentes. (laughs) Since COVID, that has ended, so that's kind of good. That's one benefit of no kissing. (laughs) Every once in a while, though, someone will say, that was a good message. That was a good sermon. And I'll tell you what I'm always thinking when I hear that. We'll see. Let's wait and see if it really will make a difference. Let's wait and let's see. We wait on December 20th for the birth of Christ in our hearts all over again. I hope you'll do it with a sense of expectation. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time of waiting and preparation and gathering those seed packets that you give to us so that we might allow Christ to be born in us again this year. And Lord, we pray that we would prepare our hearts and give them room so that Jesus can grow and develop. Father, I know everyone in this room is waiting for something. Some of us are waiting for that significant other. Some of us are waiting for healing. Some of us are in a hospital room right now waiting for healing expectantly. And not waiting passively, but working with the doctors to get better. And so I pray that my dad continues to get strength as he waits for his body to heal. And I pray, Lord, that we will ask ourselves in those seasons of waiting, God, what is it you're doing in me? How can I learn? How can I grow? How can I be different? Father, I pray that as we get ready for the birth of Christ and all that that means, we'll spend some time thinking about our relationship with you and what that means, how we might really, really make room for you in our hearts, in our lives, that we would not just wait passively, but they would clear out the things that are blocking you from being born in us. And we would do it with a sense of expectation and that we can be different, and that we can be more forgiving, and we can be more loving, and we can be more like Christ if we allow him to be born in us. So, Father, we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus, the one who taught us as we say now together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our day of bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For his kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.